Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles today, either electronically or paper Bibles, or if you've got it memorized, that's cool too. Go to Luke 14. So it's going to be the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's after that. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to go to verse 25 to start, okay? And I just want you to kind of put your finger there once you get there. Luke 14, verse 25. I love this book. What is this? A Bible. Wow. Let me, let me tell you something. This book has transformed my life. Not because I found it as a bestseller, because it's been the bestseller every year since the Gutenberg Press came out, like in 1440, okay? Bestseller every year, okay? But this book is not just a bunch of random authors, but this is a book of authors that the Holy Spirit inspired to write this one huge, beautiful narrative. And, and this word is transformative of our lives. If we actually get this in our hearts the world can be transformed. So, so, like, I, I just, if you've never read, the, if you're listening to this, you've never, like, if you're not a Christian, and you haven't read the Bible, and if you are a Christian, and you have read the Bible, I, I encourage you to go research the reliability of this book. There's nothing more proven to be true. It's infallible. This word is straight facts. It's all fire, okay? All fuego, all right? Every, all 66 chapters. And this is what we stand on. And it's all good for teaching. It's all good for admonishing and encouraging one another, okay? And this is what I want to start, because if you're not in this book, and, and you're wondering why your life's not where you want it to be, just do this. I open up the Song of Solomon. Open up to a different book to start, okay? You open up this book. You ask the Lord to transform your life. He will. Okay? Amen. So... I'm just so thankful for the Word of God. Can I tell you a story? So, back in last December, my wife and I were driving a 2004 Toyota Camry. I loved it. Its name was Sophia. But Sophia was expensive because in 2019, I had spent about $3,000 in repairs on this old car. I started getting sick of it. And, you know, Dave Ramsey teach me, teaches me to just drive a junker until it dies. But my wife and I were like, all right, we're sick of this. Let, let's just go buy a car. So we did our first grown-up thing, and we went and bought a car in December. We go to the first lot. We talked to the first guy. He didn't, it was not a good experience, okay? We left, and we're like, nah, we ain't buying a car from here. Because we, we said, this is our budget. And he goes, oh, no, how about 10000 more in your budget? I was like, what are you doing? So, so we went on down the street to the next place. And the salesman comes out, and he presents to us a couple cars that we could buy that were in our range, okay? First one, too much of a mom car. No offense to my wife, she's going to be a mom someday, but like, it, it just wasn't working. Then she, they showed us another car, which we ended up buying, that I began to ask questions. I went, I went to the salesman, and I said, uh, what's this mean? How much is it going to be? How long is it going to take to pay off? I asked questions for three hours. I called my father, I called my father-in-law, and they're sitting there like, maybe you should think about this some more, but I'm like, I don't know, it's a good buy. My <laughs> wife has given me the look like, I'm getting hungry, make a decision, Okay. <laughs> And we just kept asking questions, and I, I was at peace, and then I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And then what I decided to do was, I looked at my wife, and I said, I think it's the car. So we said yes. So they shipped us over to the financial side of it, okay? 
Like I, I, drank a drunk, I, I drank a cup of coffee, I drank some water, I read a book, I wrote a novel, and I still waited, okay? I was waiting forever. <laughs> then they finally call our name, and we get in there, and it's another three hours. And what was I doing? I was asking questions. How many months? Are you sure? Are you lying to me? I know I'm young, so you're, you think I'm naive, but I'm not. Okay, I know. And then eventually, we signed the paperwork in about 700 different spots, and we drove away with the car. Has anybody ever experienced that? Many of us, right? Yeah. It is a hard process, but it's something we have to have. But that's not my main point for the message. This is my message. Emily and I had to count the cost for ourselves before we purchased the vehicle. Like, we had to look at the overview and see if we really needed to buy the vehicle, if we could afford it, if it was going to fit within our budget, if it was going to be a blessing more than a burden, right? We had to count the cost, and it took a long time. However, in Luke 14, Jesus has this beautiful narrative that's somewhat titled, or some title it, The Cost of Discipleship. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this message is The Cost. Everybody say, The Cost. The cost. Look at your neighbor and say, how much? <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, you're buying. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe not. Okay. When I came to know Christ at a young age, I was like 12 years old, I was at a conference, and the preacher just said, pray this prayer, and you're going to have Jesus forever. You don't have to go to hell. And I was like, that sounds good. I don't want to go to hell. I'll live for Jesus. But at that moment, I didn't really count the cost of what it meant to actually follow Jesus. Okay? And, and, I, and, and please, mind me, I'm not trying to cause panic within anyone here or anyone online about whether you're saved or not, whether you thought about it or not enough through, okay? But this is my goal and aim. I would like you to do this. Would you can please consider if your life lines up with what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture? Just be really honest with yourself for a moment. And when I read this, we're going to read it together. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to like, just, just take a look at which, where your heart's at, okay? So let's read together, okay? We're in the book of Luke. The major theme in the book of Luke is that Jesus Christ is a Savior for all people. Everybody say all people. Not just the Jews, but for Gentiles and Jews, for all people. It's a beautiful narrative. Luke really does a good job of writing every detail that you really need. Like, like you really don't need this whole book. Like, if you just look out in the world, we know that there's a God. But Luke went to the extent of writing down every detail that you needed. Then we get to chapter 14. And he documents what Jesus says. Let me set it up. You ready? Because the Bible is a bunch of stories, so we got to set it up. So, so tell a story. Ready? So Jesus is walking from place to place. He's not aimlessly walking like a little sheep, really confused. He's intentional. So he's in Israel, but he's walking around preaching the good news. He's healing the sick. He's calling for repentance of people, right? But he's on his way to Jerusalem. Everybody say, to Jerusalem. And this is the place where he would go to die. He would die for our sins. And he was slowly, over a couple year period, moving towards Jerusalem. But when he was traveled, there was always a big crowd following him. Like, Jesus had followers. A bunch of them. If he had an Instagram, he's going to have like 1.1 million followers. Or more. I hope more. But anyway, he, he's traveling. 
And Jesus is walking, okay? Let's say, y'all the crowd, I'll just be Jesus for a moment, okay? He's walking. Jesus probably got a nice little walk like this or something, I don't know. He's walking, and he stops. Everybody say, stop. stop. And he turns around. Everybody's like, oh, he's about to say something good. So they get their stone tablets out, their eye tablets, and they're like, oh, going to write some notes. Like, he fed us that one time. You know, we were hungry. He gave us some bread and fish. He's about to do it again, right? And he turns around, okay, he turns around, looks at the people, and he says this, Luke 14, 25. Now large crowds were accompanying Jesus and turning to them, he said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish the tower, all who see it will begin to make fun of him. They'll say, this man began to build but couldn't finish. Or, or, or what king, going out to war against another king, will not first sit down and determine whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he cannot succeed... He will send a representative while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, whoever does not do this, whoever does not renounce all their possessions, cannot be my disciple. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how can its flavor be restored? It is no value for the soil or for the manure pile. It is to be thrown out. The one who has ears to hear had better listen. So ready? Jesus is walking. He stops. Everybody's excited. And then he says that. And they're like. Shut up. Don't clap your hands. That was not good. They're like, did he really just say that? Let me ask you this. Have we at Calvary Life. I'm not saying you. Right. We're individuals here. But it's we. We're a body of believers together with a bunch of other in the world. But us, have we at Calvary Life really counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus according to what he just said? Yes, that's good. That's good. So one of the things we do here at Calvary Life, we do exegesis, exegetical teaching. So let's start in verse 25 and work our way down so we can understand this passage of Scripture to the best of our ability, okay? Amen. I'm going to get a swig of water. Verse 25 says, Now large crowds were accompanying Jesus, and turning to them, he said, This large crowds, it means, what do you think it means? It means a lot of people. Not, not, not that complex, okay? Right? And the Bible, as it does many times, shows us that many people follow Jesus, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. So, I, I would like to call these people hearers. Everybody say hearers. Hearers. James 1, 22 and 23, it says this. Are you ready? James 1, 22 and 23. I'm also reading out of the New English Translation Bible, so if it sounds a little bit different than yours, that's why. I just, just want to put that out there real quick. James 1, 22 says, But be sure you live out the message, and do not merely listen to it, as so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in the mirror. In the church today, we have great crowds, oh, we sure do. right? 
in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you've got churches that have 30,000 attendants each week, 40,000 attendants, and even up to 50,000. That's a lot of people. The great crowds. However, are they really, have, has every one of them actually counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? Right? So, in, 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 like, you think Jesus would say something soft to, like, keep the crowds, keep them coming? Instead of, you know what Jesus says? He goes, I'm going to see which one, which one of y'all are playing. I'm going to weed y'all out. Y'all ready? If you don't hate your mama and your father, you can't be my disciple. And they're like, I love my mama. I love my, yeah, it's a song. Anyway. The American church is full of great crowds who have not really counted the cost. The American church is full of great crowds who have not counted the cost. And, and, and we know that, but we like, oh, we, we don't, we like, don't want to confront it. We know it's true. We got people living overseas who are persecuted for their faith all the time. The Chinese church, they're getting shot at. And they're, and they're like, oh, they're shooting at us? What are they going to do, right? This is what made the early church so vibrant. The early church, the more they killed them, guess what? The more they multiplied. Like, that math does not make sense, okay? So, verse 25, we see these large crowds. It's not much different than today. We have large crowds who have not really counted the cost to be a disciple of Christ. Verse 26, it's going to be our first real point of the day, okay? Everybody say number one. The cost of relationships. So, the title of the message is the cost, so point of relationships, all right? So, this is what it says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That, that phrase, if anyone comes to me, okay, that simply means if you come to know Christ because Christ died for your sins and you trust in him in faith that through his blood that you have been reconciled and justified and made right before God. Anyone comes to me, if anyone trusts in me, we find this phrase in Luke 6, verse 46 through 49. I was actually, last week, some of y'all might resonate with this. I was sleeping really nicely. And then at like 4 a.m., there was a big windstorm. Anybody hear a big windstorm last week? She did. It was bad, wasn't it? You couldn't sleep, right? Me too. You did. I know you did. You did. Look, I woke up, and the first thing I thought about, and I don't know why, was this passage in Luke 6. So let, 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 me, let me bring it to mind if you don't remember. Luke 6, 46. It's the passage where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, I'll show you what they're like. They're like someone who builds their house on solid rock. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but if someone who doesn't build their house on solid rock, their house fell. And they're embarrassed, basically, right? And that's, so if anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me and sits on the foundation, like I'm the foundation, comes to me. So it's important we know what that means, all right? So everybody say, if anyone comes to me. Very good. Then he says, and does not hate. Now, Jesus is not contradicting himself, I promise. Like, we know the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love others as you love yourself. So if Jesus really meant hate them, then he's a contradiction, and that's not cool. But Jesus doesn't contradict himself. And the Bible doesn't contradict himself. And this is what it really means. The hate's a really strong word, but this is what he's saying. If you do not love me more than any other person. Or if your love does not look like hate in comparison, That's good. you cannot be my disciple. Yeah. 
Jesus is addressing probably the most important aspect of our lives, our relationships and our self. Let me ask you this. How many times have you not done something or you did do something just because of your loved ones? It's really what we make most of our decisions based off, right? And Jesus is saying, if you don't hate, if you don't love me more than you love your mom and dad, your wife and children, let me tell you, I love my wife. But Jesus is saying, you have to love me more than you love Emily. That's really hard to hear. Am I, am, am I just tripping? No, no. Those are heavy words to hear. And now notice, please don't miss this. He doesn't say you cannot be my believer. He says you cannot be my what? Disciple. Disciple. There's a stark difference between the two. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. One of my favorite passages of scripture. One of my youth leaders, her name's Fiona. She drilled it into me at a young age. So I'm very thankful for her. This is what it says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Y'all ready? Jesus done raised from the dead. That's good. Right? <laughs> raised from the dead. And this is his last little thing he's telling his apostles before, before he's going to leave and go to heaven. It says, Then Jesus came up to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you, everything I've commanded you. And I and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. For some reason, this sounds a lot like the command the Lord gives Adam and Eve in the garden. What? Be fruitful and multiply? He brings it back. Be fruitful and multiply. Go make disciples. It's really easy to believe in Jesus. Right? Like, most, a good historian who's not even a Christian won't even debate that he was a real person. Because it's there. But you can believe in Jesus, but Jesus is saying, you cannot be my disciple. And that's what he tells the apostles to go do. He doesn't say, just go awaken people and sprinkle my name in there and smile. He says, go and teach them to observe everything I have taught you. Because that's what's transformative. We really appreciate when good athletes are good at what they do. Olympic athletes have to train hard to be good. And we love their commitment. We're like, wow, look at them run so fast. Right? Or, or whatever it is. When people can like perfect their craft, we really appreciate it. And we pay to watch it or pay for their services. And Jesus is saying, do the same thing. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. You've walked with me for three years. Now go doing the same. And listen to this. Those 11 apostles, there were, more, there were more disciples, but these 11 apostles were sitting here because of what they were willing to do. So, so what if we got back to church, not regular church? Because regular church is just coming to church, right? right? So what if we got back to actually being a disciple and that we fellowship with one another often, that we read the word and we pray fervently and we actually love others as we love ourselves? What would happen? Revive. Amen. You're right. Revival. A revival no one can stop. When we, when we actually become real disciples, it can be transformative. And this is all part of what? Going deeper, right? This is our series. And before we can go deeper, what do you have to do? You have to count the cost. Amen? The cost of relationships. I'll say one more note on this. In the Jewish culture or in a lot of the eastern part of the world, it's an honor and shame culture, right? You do something that's honorable to your family, they honor you for it. 
you do something that's shameful, they kick you out. If, if, if uh, someone who's, who, who's a Muslim becomes a Christian, they get ostracized and kicked out of the house. They're not even seen, seen as a son or daughter anymore. And Jesus is talking to them in the Jewish culture, and he's saying the same thing. He's saying, if you don't, like, hate your mom and dad, wife and kids, brother and sister, and yourself, you cannot be my disciple. That means they're gone. Forget them. And Jesus is saying, I'm more important than that because you're my child. And, you're not, and, and the, when, once you come to me, I never let you go because I love you and he cares for you, right? Everybody say the cost of relationships. The Lord is good, amen? amen? Point number two, the cost of suffering. This is really quiet. <laughs> the cost of suffering. Or like I was telling Pastor G, you could title this the cost of me. Let's read verse 27. You ready? Really short. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be, his, cannot be my disciple. I'm going to ask you all a question. Really easy answer. What did Jesus die on? Wow, that's profound. Wow, thank you, Dr. Steve. Appreciate it. Right? He died on a cross. And Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The cross is what Jesus died on, the instrument of torture that he would be strapped to and humiliated by. The cross is the representation of suffering. And only through this suffering, our reconciliation to God was made whole. It's only when there's true suffering that new things can come to life. Jesus was willing to set aside, like Jesus could have called down legions of angels Pulled him off the cross. He could have just annihilated everybody if he wants. But he was willing to what? To suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, no, 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 no. Now, you might be saying this. Now, Dallas, that's a contradiction. Christ wants the best for me. He wants me to be blessed and prosperous. He doesn't want me to suffer. You're wrong, Dallas. Look, God wants you to be blessed. Yes. But what we consider a blessing often is not what God considers a blessing. Right? Amen. I'll just say it like this. Money, compared to being with Christ for eternity, there's no comparison. Is there? And if there is, then we got to count the cost again. Let, let, you know, I, I want to read this verse in Isaiah 53. I'll read it for you. I have it on here. And this is, Isaiah 53 is this messianic vision Isaiah has about Jesus. And this is what he says. Ready? This is going to be crazy. I took a Hebrew class, so there's a Hebrew word I can say in here, and it makes me excited. So, this is what it says. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Though the Lord desired, desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy a long life. And the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having what? Suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. Though the Lord desired, okay? The word desired in Hebrew is kafetz. It means this, you ready? To take delight in, or to have pleasure. Pleasure. Let's think through this, ready? It pleasured God the Father to send his son to suffer. Why? So that... What does it say? My servant will equip many, for he carried their sins, so that we could have relationship with God. 
But it was only through Jesus' obedience and through the suffering that this was made possible. And it delighted the Lord because he looked past the short term of his son carrying the weight of sin, but looked to the long term of being redeemed to humankind as it was in the garden. Let's let's go one step further because this is called like the doctrine of suffering. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. And sometimes like we don't think it's going to happen to us. But, but it's there. So if it's in the Bible, that means it's probably for you as well. Not a probably. It's, it's going to be a part of the Christian life. Look, Hebrews 11. It's famously known as the Hall of Faith. Okay? We've got people like Abraham, people like Daniel, people like David that are mentioned in it. There's much more. But I just want to read you a few words towards the end of Hebrews 11. Then I'll stop. And then I think you'll understand the point that the Scripture is trying to make. Are you ready? It says, Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fires, escaped the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to fight, flight. The Lord still wants to do that for us, but this is what it said. Let's keep reading, okay? It says, And women, women received back their dead, raised to life, but others were tortured not accepting release, to obtain, to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced what? Mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Ready? Listen. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted. I could keep going. These great people of the faith that, that we look to for guidance, they suffered. Because they were saying, you know what? I'll put down what I want. And what this flesh wants for what God wants. And when we can do that, when we can count the cost of suffering, when we can say, I will follow Christ regardless of what happens. I don't care if I'm at work and my boss says, hey, I want you to manipulate this call so we can get some more sales. And you tell him, no, I won't do that. That goes against my faith in Christ. And he fires you, that's a form of suffering. And that's the, that's the type of suffering we're supposed to endure. Amen. What about this? What about the Lord like, wants you to suffer to your flesh, right? He put the flesh to death. He wants you to maybe stop watching pornography, Come on. right? He wants you to stop sleeping with people who aren't your husband or wife. Come on. He wants you to stop cheating. Yeah. Like, it's like the little things like we kind of like, like overlook. I'll stop jumping, okay? <laughs> right? It's those things that we overlook. But when we can put those things to death and we can take up the cross of Christ and we're willing to do anything to death and count the cost of our relationships, account the cost of what it's going to feel like in suffering, then we can be a disciple of Christ. We have a part to play in God's will that is not going to be easy. But the eternal reward is going to be worth it. Store up your treasures in heaven, not here. Matthew 6, 21 says this. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. But only the one who does the what? The will of my Father in heaven. Right? Like, like I told you, not trying to make us scared about our salvation. That, that's not the point. But what I'm saying is the scriptures point to that there's a clear thing we're supposed to do for Christ. And that is going to be suffering. We're going to have to give up our families all because Christ is worth it. Amen? Amen? All right. Verse 28 and 30. Pastor, am I good on time? 
I'm sweating. Good, never mind. <laughs> I was gonna, someone was asking me earlier if I need anything. I said, I'm not bald yet, so I don't need a towel for my head. <laughs> but hey, hey, but wait, hey, I will be. My hairline's really quick. It's doing, doing a sprint, okay? He's willingly cuts his hair like that. Anyway, let's just go on, okay? Verses 28-30. So what Jesus says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down to compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to finish the tower, all who see it will begin to make fun of him. And they will say, This man began and was not able to finish, okay? So Jesus is not discouraging people from becoming their disciples. He's just laying out like, this is what it's going to be like. The job description, straight up. He doesn't say, all right, I want you to come to me and doesn't tell you what it's going to entail. He tells you everything that it's going to entail. And then he leads it to you to make the decision. And then he uses this, this, this parable because towers were built a lot in this culture. They protected things. And he's saying, I don't want a bunch of half-built towers. Let me ask you this. Honest assessment. People who are not Christians, when you look at Christianity, one of the reasons why they're so appalled by our faith, because there's a bunch of half-built towers, people who are half-committed, not really serious about their faith. They wear a nice crucifix around their neck, but they're going to treat you something terrible in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Right? I didn't get my number one. And my sauce, I ain't get it. What's wrong with you? And like, we actually treat people like trash, so no wonder we're not appealing to the outside world. And Jesus is saying, if, if you're going to do this thing, count the cost before you get started. Because if not, you're going to look like a fool, and you're going to make me and my father look bad. So he's just saying, the cost of your relationships, the cost of suffering, I want you just to consider it before you take a step. That's it. I bought a car, I, 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 like, like I said, like, I looked at the cost of it before I bought it. I counted the cost. It's, just, it's even more important when it comes to things that are like, gonna last for eternity. Like sometimes we treat it as a passive decision. It's not. Like this decision's gonna last for how long? Forever. Single people, let me ask you something real quick. Would you marry a person that you met for the first time on the first date without thinking about it? This ain't 90 Day Fiance or anything like that, okay? Would you do that? No. That would be what? Foolish. It would, it, would be really, it would be really dumb, okay? Simple as that. So why is it like sometimes when we, we pray that prayer of faith and we don't really consider the cost of what it means to be a Christian, then we're wondering why, like, oh, this is so hard. This ain't what I signed up for. Are you sure? Have you read this book? It's exactly what you're signing up for. The church, like I said, needs to stop producing half-built towers. Cost of relationships, the cost of suffering. Let's get towards the end of the okay? Point number three, the cost of possessions, the cost of stuff. Isn't it interesting that Jesus addresses the three things that are most important to us? Ourselves, our relationships, and our stuff, our money, our possessions. Real quick. So Jesus makes this last point. He tells a parable, then he, he hits it through with a one-hitter real quick, with a one-liner, okay? He says, Or what king going out to confront another king in battle will not first sit down and determine whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? 
If he cannot succeed, he will send a representative while the others are still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. Then he says this, in the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. Wow. This parable would have made sense to the people in Israel. They had fought many wars in their history, right? The Romans had, they were occupying the land. They were in control at the time. So they understood like kings to battle. And he uses this illustration like a king should be wise before he goes to battle. Jesus makes a reference to Proverbs 20.18. He says, well, this is what it says in Proverbs 20.18. Finalize plans with counsel and wage war with sound guidance. The king counted the cost before he sent all his men to die. He, he, before he sent 10,000 of his men to be slaughtered, he's like, you know what? How about if I send a representative off and we'll ask for terms of peace before this thing gets started? Okay? You want to switch real quick? Let's do it. We're going to switch real quick. Everybody take a breather. Say your neighbor or two. What y'all having for lunch today? Growing out my hair out so I can compete with Sam. Okay. Let's go back to the scripture. In verse 33, he says, In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. The word renounce is another strong word, like that word hate we address, okay? Renounce kind of means this. It means prioritizing or properly putting things in order. Let, let me give you an illustration to make this make sense. My wife and I, after we bought a car, I realized if I wanted to be a good steward of our household, I should probably get on a budget. Because <laughs> we were going to have a payment here, a payment there, we needed to eat, and I didn't want all of our money just skipping away. So we had to put our money in order, tell it where it's going to go. We put, our, we put things in properly order so that we, we can just live life. We're going to live life frugally, and this is just the way it's going to, going to be. Think about this. The young rich ruler, he'd done everything he was supposed to do. He comes to Jesus. He's like, hey, how can I attain eternal life? You kept all the commandments? Yep, did that. Okay, go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Then he's like, I'm good. You know what? He went away sad because he wasn't willing to count the cost of his what? His possessions. Prioritize your stuff so that Jesus can remain the Lord of your life. Jesus talks about money and possessions a lot. If you've read the Bible, it's like here and there. He's like, man, he's talking about my stuff. Maybe he's trying to tell me something. He is. Put it in order. I'm not telling us that we should just sell everything and that we should all go live like in the grass beside Calvary life. Not what I'm suggesting. Okay? They're going to kick you out. But what, what, what Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to put me first before all the stuff, you cannot be my disciple. He addresses our relationships, ourselves, and suffering for him, and possessions. I don't need to linger on possessions anymore. We know. It's just the facts, okay? Let's wrap this up. It's an important question. I'm laughing because it's... All right. Have you ever had unseasoned chicken? <laughs> Have you all ever had chicken without salt? That's a crime. That's a crime. Thank you, Joe. It's a felony. If you better had chicken that's not seasoned, and you're like, who made this? And why'd you make it like this? What's wrong with you? Right? Unseasoned stuff. Like, you need some Lowry's, and you need some fresh cracked black pepper, and all that good stuff. 
And the reason I say that is because Jesus says in verse 34, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how can its flavor be restored? Did you know that table salt cannot lose its flavor? I didn't know that. While studying, preparing for this, I learned that table salt can't really lose its flavor. Okay? And salt back in the day, back in this Jewish society, meant more than just seasoning for your chicken, okay? It was a preservative. It was a fertilizer. It was a weed killer. It was a catalyst for ovens and many more things. So what Jesus is saying is something that's quite impossible because salt can't lose its flavor. But, but he's not talking about real salt that you buy. What, what does Jesus call us? The salt of the what? Ooh, he calls us the salt. And this is what he's saying. Are you ready? Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, which is impossible, how can its flavor be restored? It is, no, it is of no value for the soil or for the manure pile. It has to be thrown out. It's not even good to season manure with. It's trash. He says, just throw it out. Remember, I'm not trying to make you worry, like, am I saved or not? I've said that multiple times, okay? I'm not trying to preach fear into everybody. But if we lose our saltiness, if we're not really a disciple of Christ, then we're no longer good. We're to be thrown out. That's why I mentioned Matthew 6, 21. If anyone says, Lord, Lord, and does not do the will of my Father, like, like, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. That's what the scriptures say. Because you cannot accept salvation from Christ and not do anything about it. Stop, we, can, we can stop being hearers because that's what hearers are. They're flavorless salt that's trash, right? And we can actually be some salty salt. That's the salt of the world that when we go into a, a bland world, right? That's a corny statement. But we go into a bland world and we use our salt and we love people as we love ourselves. And we show the love of God. That's what it's like being a disciple. And then what does he say to finish it up? The one who has ears to hear had better listen. Jesus says this over and over in the Gospels. He actually, it's mentioned in Ezekiel. Thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Um, he actually mentions this in Ezekiel when he's talking about the, the Israelite leaders, the Jews. Like, like, like they honor me. They honor me with their lips. And they're so good about their sacrifices. But their hearts are far from me. Some things don't change. Like we read the scriptures, Professor Bontrager and I have been talking about it. Like, how did the Israelites kept, how did they keep messing it up? Like, worship the Lord. Oh, there's another plague. Worship the Lord. It's not that hard. But when you look now, it is no different. Because our hearts are prone to wander from God. But this is what I'm saying. If we want to go deeper with God, it first starts with counting the cost of following Christ. It's going to cost us our relationships. It's going to cost us suffering, me. What about my life? I don't want to die. If he's saying, you're not willing to die with me, you cannot be my disciple. And, he's, and you've got to put your possessions away. I looked at Emily the other night, my wife. Now, we were talking about this message. It's a really transparent moment. And... Uh, I asked her the question. I said, have you really counted the cost? She goes, huh. She looked at me. She goes, have you? I just started. I just had, I had like six tears came out my eyes. Not many. But I had to hold them back. I had like six tears because I knew the way my life was looking. I hadn't truly counted the cost. 
This cost to follow Jesus is a radical call to obedience. Think about Abraham, Genesis 12. Genesis, right? Is that Genesis? Okay. Like, he, he calls Abraham out from his land where his family's been. He says, I want you to go to another land. Leave it all. And Abraham's not like, I'll kind of go. Like, I'll go back and visit. Like, he couldn't go back. He said, leave it all. I'm your God. And if he wasn't willing to follow the, the done, like God, the done, right? Because really the done, the done is Jesus. And the do is the action to that, right? If he wasn't willing to do that, we might not be here. But he was willing to say yes, the absolute yes. He was willing to count the cost. Count the cost of his relationships, himself and what he wanted, and his possessions to pick up what God wanted. So let's just take a few minutes to reflect on the, reflect on the word of Jesus. Be reminded that the Lord loves you. His grace and mercy are abounding. But if God was going to send his son to suffer, why wouldn't we have to suffer as well? Like Christ had this, this, this radical call for all of humanity. And he expects us to do the same thing because we are his disciples. And if we want to go deeper, that's what it takes. Because I, I promise you, there's people in here that are not supposed to just be sitting in here. Like there's going to be people in here that we're going to raise up and we're going to send out to pastor other churches. We're going to raise up to be missionaries overseas. We're going to raise up to be business leaders that transform society in their sphere of influence. But it all starts with what? Counting the cost. Following Jesus is not easy by any means. But if we don't count the cost, I'm afraid what the scriptures show that like our eternity is at stake. So let's just take a few minutes, minutes to pray. You can close your eyes, pray right where you are. Some of you may need to repent for allowing your heart to drift from God, and you might need to recount the cost. Some of you might need to take some more time to count the cost for the first time. And some of you might say, I'm not willing to count the cost. Mind you, this is an eternal decision. Think carefully through this. Let's just take a few moments to pray. Father, there's no one like you. We are so thankful for your grace and your mercy. We're so thankful that we're willing to send your son to die for the sins of humanity so that we would have the opportunity to be reconciled to you forever. And we see through your scriptures that it takes a radical response it's a difficult one, but it is necessary. So, Lord, I just pray for everybody here, everybody listening online, anybody who's going to listen to this in the future. Lord, help us to be willing to count the cost. It's not like we just count the cost and you leave us out. You're with us. You never leave us or forsake us. You're always with us. 
not like we have to do it in our own strength. He works in our weaknesses. But we have to be willing to say yes regardless of the outcome. I might die, but I'm willing to say yes. I might get fired from my job, but I'm willing to say yes. My family might kick me out, never want to talk to me again, but I'll say yes. I thank you for every person here, and we just worship your holy name. We ask that you would move powerfully in Calvary Life DFW. I pray that this Keller area, this North, this, this North Fort Worth would be awaking to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would stand on you as our foundation and that you would make your name known right here. And that you would raise up people to send them out to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. We love and worship you. There's no one like you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray together. Amen. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.